0: Making and eating food can be such a rich social experience, it is no wonder that it inspires poets. One of those poets, Eve Brower, reads for us today. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Of the tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We are here today with Eve Brower, a writer from Chicago, living today in Louisiana. One of the things that she writes is poetry, and she also has written poetry about food. Welcome, Eve. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So today I think it's going to be a little bit different than our usual podcast because we're going to have readings and I'm very excited to try this new idea to talk about food in a really, really different way. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and writing and how you've begun to write
1: poetry, especially some of the poetry that deals with food? Well... My background is I started writing for the newspaper in Chicago, a a suburban newspaper, and then I worked for the National Safety Council, and they do a lot of publications. Most people don't know that, but that's probably most most of what they do. And while I was working there, something came across my desk. A new book was being put out. This was in the 90s about mad cow disease. (laughs) And I was very interested in mad cow disease. So I uh, submitted a couple of chapters, and they were accepted. So tell us what
0: mad cow disease
1: is. Oh, mad cow disease is transmissible encephalitis, TSE. Transmissible spongiform encephalitis. I think that's the TSE. But it is interesting because it's transmitted by ingestion. It could be transmitted by ingestion. It has a familial aspect to it too, so sometimes inheritance, and also iatrogenically. If you have a cornea transplant and the person had that, you would get this disease. But in the late 90s, it was rampant in England, maybe you'd remember. And so this book about mad cow disease was published in England, and it was very exciting because um, it was launched at Westminster Abbey. One of the other authors was a member of parliament, and they hosted us to many dinners, none of which included beef. And that's really where you get it is in beef, correct? Yes, because, well, that's one of the sources, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was a puzzle as to where it was coming from, and it pretty much has died out, so to speak, that phase of it.
0: So was it involved with feeding animals their own? Their own,
1: yes, cannibalism. Yes. Um, And um, there's, (laughs) we'll have to come on the show again to do another show about (laughs) mad cow disease. (laughs) Let's not uh, make anyone disgusted by talking about it too much now. (laughs) Okay, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Okay, but that's how you got started. That's how I got started really in more writing. And then we moved to Louisiana and i found louisiana a very nurturing place a number of my friends are writers and they're all supportive there's a less competitive spirit here i think than in chicago at least among your own in your own circle mm-hmm. so i think i've been cultivated i've blossomed <laughs> so to speak a little bit <laughs> and, and my my poem the tarantelle that's the way my mother would have said it, darn dell, if she was first generation from um, Italian. So where was she from? She was born in America, but her family was from near Salerno, Olivetro Citro. So my grandparents were born there.
0: And so your kitchen at home
1: was mostly Italian?
0: It was... Partially um, Italian? It
1: was... My mother was not one to slave for many hours in the kitchen, but... She, her cooking techniques were Italian. Few ingredients and making, I'd say making the most out of few ingredients. Mm-hmm. So we ate not these long meals. She never made lasagna, mm-hmm. but she made peppers and eggs, things yeah. like that. Yes. Uh-huh. And polenta. I called her up once to ask for the recipe for polenta, I said. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then we talked a little bit longer, and, and all of a sudden she said, Oh, you mean Bolenta. <laughs> so, yes, ma'am, my mistake. <laughs> yes,
0: I, I can imagine that because I'm the same. Well, I know my mother was the same oh. uh, as you because my grandparents came from Sicily. Oh, yes. And uh, so, uh, well, that's exactly. No, you and I are the same because your mother... Mm-hmm. And my mother were the children of of Italian immigrants. And yes, Yes. I I got a lot of that.
1: (laughs) Pasta. (laughs) Not pasta.
0: Pasta.
1: My my favorite one is Ajina Babe. She would send us to the store for Ajina Babe. And it looks altogether different when you see it on the box. It's A-N-C-I-N-I-D-I, I -I -I, I think, and then P-E-P-E. Uh-huh. So.
0: Oh, yes. My grandmother lived um next door to a family. They had a dog. And the dog's name was Duke. But she called the dog Duca. Oh. And uh I also called the dog Duca because I thought that was the dog's <laughs> name. <laughs> and I remember talking to the neighbors at her house and talking about Duca. And they said, Who is Duca? <laughs> So yes, I totally understand. I totally understand. So tell us about the Tarantella.
1: Well, I wrote this based on a true incident and was we did make gnocchi and we're from southern Italy at the the True gnocchi, I believe, in northern Italy, usually has a white sauce. Mm-hmm. We put a red sauce on ours, and, and we called it gravy. And <laughs> our favorite time to make it is the day after Thanksgiving because you have leftover mashed potatoes.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: I think in my poem I revised things so that we're making it at a different time. We're boiling the potatoes fresh. So I did take some poetic license, yes, so to speak.
0: And and so why did you choose to write about
1: I think because we had had, we had had so much fun making it. We were all in the kitchen, and there's all, so many other things that happen, especially when you're kind of trapped in the kitchen for a long period of time, and um, you start talking, and things come out, and that's what I was trying to capture in the poem.
0: I always say that People transmit civilization in the kitchen. Yes, I think when so. When they're all
1: together. Yes, yes. So, all right, would you mind reading it for us? Of course, I would love to read it. And if it's too long, just tell me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> just say, Eve, stop, we've had it. <laughs> I'm going to read it. Um, some of the words, the way my mother would have said, um, the darndel, she would have said probably. Um, And it starts with a prelude. I think I think I'm Dante. (laughs) (laughs) We danced the Darindale, but first we cooked and served and ate gnocchi and gravy, sausage and meatballs, salad with oil and vinegar, strawberries and cream. We began at two in the afternoon with four generations of Italian women gathered in the kitchen of one. We resembled a tarantula. We eight-handed four. Some of our 40 fingers flew over keypads, through cyberspace. Some rifled through boxes of recipes. We assembled the tattered, splattered heirlooms of our history, alongside the printouts, alongside the pages of pristine, rarely used cookbooks. And in due course, we danced the darndel. But first, we boiled, riced, cooled the potatoes, added flour and salt and egg, kneaded, tasted, re-seasoned, re-kneaded the soon-to-be gnocchi. Then, we set the tomatoes to simmering, added garlic and parsley and basil and salt, We sauteed, we blended, we shaped and browned, we grated, cored, sliced, sweetened, and whipped the sausage, meatballs, cheese, lettuce, strawberries, and cream. That's the end of the prelude. Now I'm going to read Canto 1. As we cooked, we were stirred, we three, by recollections of the fourth, the eldest, to remember times we three had never had to perk our ears and nearly hear the plaintive strains of Nunfrey's guitar, of Saint Juliet's mandolin. Even as we pulled out a new contraption to push the pits from Kalamata Olives, we pressed the matriarch for facts and figures. When exactly did Nunfrey come to America? 1920? Twenty-five? When? Then abandoned that quest, set it aside along with measuring cups and spoons, ceded to handfuls, pinches, and guesses, ceded to memories filtered through the major calamities and minor setbacks of the times through which she, the matriarch, had lived. We turned instead to the task at hand, getting ready to dance the darn dough. So we reached, we four, into the potato mixture and took, we four, portions of the dough to shape between our eight floured palms into soft, fat cylinders that we'd slice into discs. And then, in brisk, precise, well-practiced movements, push off the tines of oiled forks onto parchment paper, where they would wait, wait for the perfectly timed moment. Table set, men seated, husbands and fathers and brothers, mouths watering, when we'd lower the plump little dumplings into the cauldron, slide them into the gently simmering water, Watch them dodge and slip between the bubbles, sink to the bottom, and then, playfully bumping against each other, rise, gracefully to the top, to the top of the pot. May I go on to Canto 4? Yes, yes. (laughs) Canto 2, excuse me. As the hours passed, as we worked that March day in that hot kitchen, the matriarch told stories told tales of a long-ago sister-in-law who did not like to cook, who would rather work in her garden or write poems or paint pottery or go to parties than prepare meals for her family. Hmm, we three murmured, eyes assiduously averted, hands occupied, mincing garlic into submission, focusing energies, funneling talents, hot tomatoes concentrating in and on the contents of the pot. It was time to take a break. It was time to enjoy an interlude. It was time for one of the women to illustrate the proper position for dancing the dar and Elbows akimbo, Backs of wrists resting on the rearmost pillows of plump Italian hips. And it still goes on, Liz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Canto 3. We blended, we four, our 200-plus years with tomato and garlic and parsley and basil. We watered down facts and spiced up truths. We lowered the music, raised our voices, shared the secrets of the long dead, of the frequently wed, of the children of doubtful paternity, of the cousin who'd achieved maternity manlessly. We pulled pots and pans from hooks, reached way back into the corners of cupboards for the scola macaron to drain the pasta, for the hundred-year-old ricer to pulverize the potatoes, for the long tined fork to pierce the constricting sausage skin, for the turkey baster to better explain how that young modern cousin had attained maternity manlessly. Through the hours, while the tomato sauce thickened, we watched diligently, lest it stick and burn. Through the years... While our Italian blood thinned, we'd married obliviously Americans. Nonetheless, we treat the fourth, although she's only one-eighth, as though she's fully entitled to stir the pot, wondering just the same, where the Italian men were when we'd needed them. Where were the Frank Giulianos and Anthony Carlinos when our eggs had been ripe for seasoning? And now, Liz, finally, the grand finale. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We cooked, we served, we ate. And at dinner's dinner's end, the kitchen clean and reassembled, we did the math, measured the minutes, the hours, the years. We asked where the time went, how it had been so quickly spent. 24 women hours since we'd first begun. We summoned strength to stand to place the back of wrists on our Neapolitan hips, to slightly arch our spines, to raise chests and breasts, to slide softly, sideways, forward and back, around the F major and through the A minor tones. Like so many gnocchi bumbled together in the boiling pot, like so many generations of women before us, jumbled together in our haphazard memories. We danced through our fatigue and through our vague unrest. Like wild, whirling dervishes, we swirled and we twirled till we sank, exhausted, into chairs and onto sofas, so tired from dancing the tarantelle. The end. Thank you so much for reading that. Was it too long? No, no.
0: I think it was really delightful. And I really believe that the fact that really people in the kitchen do that, they are aware, they talk, they do all of those things, really comes through. Oh, good. Um, so I, I think it's just it's wonderful. And I really do love not only food, because it's about food and cooking and just the act of doing that, the physical act of doing that. But it becomes a metaphor for how people are joined together and how this line, whether it's a genetic line, DNA, and all of that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. But it's the knowledge of how to make a gnocchi. I mean, that goes, if you're talking about all these generations, Mm -hmm. and... The only way that you're really going to learn how to do it is because someone shows you and does it with you until it feels right, and you know what it feels like in your hands. And the first time you do it, it's never right, mm-hmm. and it takes it takes a while. And then when you've accomplished it,
1: you're part of the the community or the sorority, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and yeah, it's a very good feeling to be. Have that handed down to you. My mother, when um, she was 17, her mother had died, and she had to take over the cooking for the family. And she always told us how, um, if she didn't know how to do something, she would call um, Gumajuan, um, one of the Gumari who lived in the neighborhood. And um, it w- so this was interesting. We always liked hearing about this. And then one day I said to her, Well, how did you call her? Because I know you didn't get a telephone until. When the 1930s, the 1940s, and she said, oh, oh, well, I don't know. (laughs) So (laughs) there you have it. (laughs) I brought one other piece to read, if I may. Do you you want
0: to read the... um,
1: Oh, I'd like to read, yes, my sister's version of that poem, the poem, and I'm hoping that my sister was inspired by the perfection of my poem <laughs> and not by sibling rivalry when she wrote this haiku, which amazingly seems to say, in only 17 syllables, exactly the same thing as my multi-cantoed three-page, eight-minute version. So here's hers. Gnocchi in the pot, we danced the tarantelle. memories old and new. So, <laughs> I hope everybody prefers mine. <laughs> and I brought one more to read, if I may. Or yes, please. This is about food also, but a different aspect of food. It's called Comfort in Casseroles, and it's a, 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 a chapter from a book that I wrote and self-published, and the book is called My Grandmother Danced. And in this poem... This chapter a young widow is going um, she's just enrolled in beauty school and she's fairly happy being a young widow but when she goes home at the end of the day um, there is food waiting for her and much the way we do today now and um, this is called comfort in casseroles okay And she's just finished her day, so she says at her day of beauty school, and she says, But at day's end, there I am, taking off my crisply starched, real beauty shop white uniform, and going back to black. Widow's weed black. Then I walk to the car barns on Polk Street where Sebastian, that's her son, works. It took Will's death for Bastion to see the folly in continuing his studies at the Art Institute. Scholarship or no. Now he's learning a real trade to be a mechanic like his dad. When Sebastian sees me, he's somber, solicitous, and taking my arm, helping me on to the number 156 that brings us to our building, as though I can't grab hold and hop on the trolley myself. There, in our apartment's doorway, a still warm, covered dish awaits us. Chicken and dumplings, or pot roast and mashed potatoes, with green beans and candied carrots to the side, or meatloaf with thick, wide, homemade egg noodles, like Ma used to make, or chicken livers with fried apple rings and peach cobbler or rhubarb and strawberry pie, or pound cake, or whatever struck the fancy of the missionary guild woman assigned to deliver dinner to us, the bereaved that day. Sebastian has no appetite, sits quietly, picks at the meal. I admonish him, waste not, want not. Am myself comforted in my sorrow. In fact, worry, lest I grow too plump to get into my weekday white beauty school uniform or the lovely black silk dress that perfectly fits and flatters and yet is so suitable in signaling my newly widowed status. So <laughs> I was trying to capture a lot in that. I don't know if I succeeded.
0: Well, it's very clear that food is comfort. Yes. <laughs> and it is something traditional to deliver food to the recently bereaved. Yes. And
1: uh, and it's a very lovely gesture. Um, it is. And at our church, we call it, I think, a food train. Oh. And we do it now I mean, we organize it via via email, of Mm -hmm. course, Mm -hmm. but we still think about it, too, what we're going to make and what we think that person would like and their children.
0: And then you coordinate so that everyone isn't making the same thing. Right. Yes. That's always important. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, Food is uh, also good when someone is sick and taking care of a sick person and they don't necessarily have time to cook something for themselves, um, I think that's also a nice time to help them out by uh, bringing them some food.
1: Yes. Recently I had a friend who was ill, and I made her uh, uh, it wasn't so recently. It was probably a year ago. I made her a dinner of um, pasta vajole, mm-hmm. uh, or you say pasta vajole, we say. Yeah. And um, then this spring I fell and broke my thumb. So, I was quick to use my other fingers and email her that she owed me a dinner. dinner.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the nice things about doing that, especially in America where you have such a variety of backgrounds in people, Mm -hmm. is that you get to eat everybody's food. That is true. I really like that. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot about them by what they bring you. And, uh, you know you can tell the people who went to Popeye's and bought fried chicken to give you, which is not a bad thing to do <clears throat> i'm not I'm not criticizing anybody oh no. who does I love it Popeyes. I love Popeyes <laughs> too <so. laughs> but it's it's really a wonderful way to learn something about people that you might not otherwise have an opportunity to learn about
1: them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gesture is so nice
0: food. Food fits into your life in every way. I mean, there really isn't a time when, at least, especially both of us with a, an Italian background besides, but certainly in New Orleans as well, um, food is everywhere. You you have food during bereaved periods as well as during celebrations. Mm-hmm. And you're doing business. It's going to be over a meal. And it's um, just really isn't a time when food isn't
1: appropriate. <laughs> right. And the preparation of food, too, is very important. That's right. And yes. So that's what I was trying to say in the tarantale, because when we were doing it, I think my mother, her attitude was more generous, perhaps, than her daughter's. She was dedicated to it, and my sister and I perhaps sometimes felt like that sausage skin was constricting us.
0: Ah, uh-huh. yes, yes. <laughs> Well, I do think that probably all children have to go through that period of rebellion where they don't want to take on the burdens of their parents, their mother, father, whatever the burden happens to be. And then I think we mellow into realizing why it was there Mm -hmm. and why they accepted this burden because there was so much love and other things in it. It just... You have to go through that period of rebellion in order to appreciate it. Otherwise, you're just doing it because you're mimicking someone else, and not because it's genuine. But if you've rebelled and then accept, then you've really embraced it. And yes, you...
1: embraced is the word. Mm-hmm. I think yes. then you see the beauty in it. That's right. I think
0: it's uh, an important. It's an important thing. Well, I want to thank you, Eve. This has been a delightful conversation. I want to find out. How anyone who wants to read your uh, writings will be able to do so. Please tell us.
1: Well, I have a, a sketchy Facebook page. It's um, Eve Brower, author, and my last name is spelled funny. It's, may I spell it? Yes, please. B R O U W E R. My husband was not Italian. <laughs> 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 and I do have a book out, the one that I self published. It's called My Grandmother danced and it is on Amazon. And are you working on anything right now? Yes I am. But Can you talk about it? I would rather. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a secret it's just a that it's got me stymied. I'm wa- I'm working on a children's book and um, for young adults and so I I want to develop it a little bit more before I say anything.
0: Okay, that's perfectly fair. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I caught you off guard. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But thank you so much for writing about food and coming to be here with us to talk about it and how it fits into your writing, what it can mean, and how it can represent so many very
1: various things. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I love your podcast, and I love listening to it. And um, I I like the one especially where you had your son. um, Uh. And it sounded to me like you were biting your tongue at one point when he was talking about the garbage disposal. That was one of my favorites.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Bye, Liz. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.